Section 2 of Geronimo's Story of His Life. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sue Anderson. Geronimo's Story of His Life by Geronimo. Transcribed by S. M. Barrett and translated by Asa Deklugi. Section 2 part two of the apaches chapter four tribal amusements manners and customs to celebrate each noted event a feast and dance would be given perhaps only our own people perhaps neighboring tribes would be invited these festivities usually lasted for about four days by day we feasted by night under the direction of some chief we danced the music for our dance was singing led by the warriors and accompanied by beating the esa de deni buckskin on a hoop no words were sung only the tones when the feasting and dancing were over we would have horse races foot races wrestling jumping and all sorts of games gambling among these games the most noted was the tribal game of ka foot it is played as follows. Four moccasins are placed about four feet apart in holes in the ground, dug in a row on one side of the camp, and on the opposite side a similar parallel row. At night a campfire is started between these two rows of moccasins, and the players are arranged on sides, one or any number on each side. The score is kept by a bundle of sticks, from which each side takes a stick for every point one. First one side takes the bone, a symbol of the white rock used by the eagle in slaying the nameless monster, puts up blankets between the four moccasins and the fire so that the opposing team cannot observe their movements, and then begin to sing the legends of creation. The side having the bone represents the feathered tribe, the opposite side represents the beasts. The players representing the birds do all the singing, and, while singing, hide the bone in one of the moccasins. Then the blankets are thrown down. They continue to sing, but as soon as the blankets are thrown down, the chosen player from the opposing team, armed with a war club, comes to their side of the campfire, and, with his club, strikes the moccasin in which he thinks the bone is hidden. If he strikes the right moccasin, his side gets the bone, and in turn represents the birds, while the opposing team must keep quiet and guess in turn. There are only four plays, three that lose and one that wins. When all the sticks are gone from the bundle, the side having the largest number of sticks is counted winner. This game is seldom played except as a gambling game, but for that purpose it is the most popular game known to the tribe. Usually the game lasts four or five hours. It is never played in daytime. After the games are all finished, the visitors say, we are satisfied, and the camp is broken up. I was always glad when the dances and feasts were announced. So were all the other young people. Our life also had a religious side. We had no churches, no religious organizations, no Sabbath day, no holidays, 
and yet we worshipped. Sometimes the whole tribe would assemble to sing and pray, sometimes a smaller number, perhaps only two or three. The songs had a few words, but were not formal. The singer would occasionally put in such words as he wished, instead of the usual tone sound. Sometimes we prayed in silence. Sometimes each one prayed aloud. Sometimes an aged person prayed for all of us. At other times one would rise and speak to us of our duties to each other and to Usen. Our services were short. When disease or pestilence abounded, we were assembled and questioned by our leaders to ascertain what evil we had done and how Usen could be satisfied. Sometimes sacrifice was deemed necessary. Sometimes the offending one was punished. If an Apache had allowed his aged parents to suffer for food or shelter, if he had neglected or abused the sick, if he had profaned our religion, or had been unfaithful, he might be banished from the tribe. The Apaches had no prisons as white men have. Instead of sending their criminals into prison, they sent them out of their tribe. These faithless, cruel, lazy, or cowardly members of the tribe were excluded in such a manner that they could not join any other tribe. Neither could they have any protection from our unwritten tribal laws. Frequently these outlaw Indians banded together and committed depredations which were charged against the regular tribe. However, the life of an outlaw Indian was a hard lot, and their bands never became very large. Besides, these bands frequently provoked the wrath of the tribe and secured their own destruction. When I was about eight or ten years old, I began to follow the chase, and to me this was never work. Out on the prairies which ran up to our mountain homes, wandered herds of deer, antelope, elk, and buffalo, to be slaughtered when we needed them. Usually we hunted buffalo on horseback, killing them with arrows and spears. Their skins were used to make teepees and bedding, their flesh to eat. It required more skill to hunt the deer than any other animal. We never tried to approach a deer except against the wind. Frequently we would spend hours in stealing upon some grazing deer. If they were in the open, we would crawl long distances on the ground, keeping a weed or brush before us so that our approach would not be noticed. Often we would kill several out of one herd before the others would run away. Their flesh was dried and packed in vessels and would keep in this condition for many months. The hide of the deer was soaked in water and ashes, and the hair removed, and then the process of tanning continued until the buckskin was soft and pliable. Perhaps no other animal was more valuable to us than the deer. In the forests and along the streams were many wild turkeys. These we would drive to the plains, then slowly ride up toward them until they were almost tired out. When they began to drop and hide, we would ride in upon them, and, by swinging from the side of our horses, catch them. If one started to fly, we would ride swiftly under him, 
and kill him with a short stick or hunting club. In this way we could usually get as many wild turkeys as we could carry home on a horse. There were many rabbits in our range, and we also hunted them on horseback. Our horses were trained to follow the rabbit at full speed, and as they approached them, we would swing from one side of the horse and strike the rabbit with our hunting club. If he was too far away, we would throw the stick and kill him. This was great sport when we were boys, but as warriors we seldom hunted small game. There were many fish in the streams, but as we did not eat them, we did not try to catch or kill them. Small boys sometimes threw stones at them, or shot at them for practice with their bows and arrows. Usen did not intend snakes, frogs, or fishes to be eaten. I have never eaten of them. There were many eagles in the mountains. These we hunted for their feathers. It required great skill to steal upon an eagle, for besides having sharp eyes, he is wise and never stops at any place where he does not have a good view of the surrounding country. I have killed many bears with a spear, but was never injured in a fight with one. I have killed several mountain lions with arrows and one with a spear. Both bears and mountain lions are good for food and valuable for their skin. When we killed them, we carried them home on our horses. We often made quivers for our arrows from the skin of the mountain lion. These were very pretty and very durable. During my minority, we had never seen a missionary or a priest. We had never seen a white man. Thus quietly lived the Badankahe Apaches. Chapter 5. The Family My grandfather Mako had been our chief. I never saw him, but my father often told me of the great size, strength, and sagacity of this old warrior. Their principal wars had been with the Mexicans. They had some wars with other tribes of Indians also, but were seldom at peace for any great length of time with the Mexican towns. Mako died when my father was but a young warrior, and Mangus, Colorado, became chief of the Badankahe Apaches. When I was but a small boy, my father died, after having been sick for some time. When he passed away, carefully the watchers closed his eyes. Then they arrayed him in his best clothes, painted his face afresh, wrapped a rich blanket around him, saddled his favorite horse, bore his arms in front of him, and led his horse behind, repeating in wailing tones his deeds of valor as they carried his body to a cave in the mountain. Then they slew his horses, and we gave away all of his other property, as was customary in our tribe, after which his body was deposited in the cave, his arms beside him. His grave is hidden by piles of stone. Wrapped in splendor, he lies in seclusion, and the winds in the pines sing a low requiem over the dead warrior. After my father's death, I assumed the care of my mother. She never married again, although, according to the customs of our tribe, she might have done so immediately after his death. Usually, however, the widow who has children remains single after her husband's death for two or three years. 
but the widow without children marries again immediately. After a warrior's death, his widow returns to her people, and may be given away or sold by her father or brothers. My mother chose to live with me, and she never desired to marry again. We lived near our old home, and I supported her. In 1846, being seventeen years of age, I was admitted to the Council of the Warriors. Then I was very happy, for I could go wherever I wanted and do whatever I liked. I had not been under the control of any individual, but the customs of our tribe prohibited me from sharing the glories of the warpath until the Council admitted me. When opportunity offered after this, I could go on the warpath with my tribe. This would be glorious. I hoped soon to serve my people in battle. I had long desired to fight with our warriors. Perhaps the greatest joy to me was that now I could marry the fair Alope, daughter of Naposo. She was a slender, delicate girl, but we had been lovers for a long time. So, as soon as the council granted me these privileges, I went to see her father concerning our marriage. Perhaps our love was of no interest to him. Perhaps he wanted to keep Alope with him, for she was a dutiful daughter. At any rate, he asked many ponies for her. I made no reply, but in a few days appeared before his wigwam with the herd of ponies, and took with me Alope. This was all the marriage ceremony necessary in our tribe. Not far from my mother's teepee I had made for us a new home. The teepee was made of buffalo hides, and in it were many bear robes, lion hides, and other trophies of the chase, as well as my spears, bows, and arrows. Alope had made many little decorations of beads and drawn work on buckskin, which she placed in our teepee. She also drew many pictures on the walls of our home, she was a good wife, but she was never strong. We followed the traditions of our fathers and were happy. Three children came to us, children that played, loitered, and worked as I had done. Chapter 6. Casquilla In the summer of 1858, being at peace with the Mexican towns as well as with all the neighboring Indian tribes, we went south into old Mexico to trade. Our whole tribe, Badonkahe Apaches, went through Sonora towards Casa Grande, our destination. But just before reaching that place, we stopped at another Mexican town, called by the Indians Casquilla. Here we stayed for several days, camping just outside the city. Every day we would go into town to trade, leaving our camp under the protection of a small guard, so that our arms, supplies, and women and children would not be disturbed during our absence. Late one afternoon, when returning from town, we were met by a few women and children who told us that the Mexican troops from some other town had attacked our camp, killed all the warriors of the guard, captured all our ponies, secured our arms, destroyed our supplies, and killed many of our women and children. Quickly we separated, concealing ourselves as best we could until nightfall, when we assembled at our appointed place of rendezvous 
a thicket by the river. Silently we stole in, one by one. Sentinels were placed, and when all were counted, I found that my aged mother, my young wife, and my three small children were among the slain. There were no lights in camp, so without being noticed I silently turned away and stood by the river. How long I stood there I do not know, but when I saw the warriors arranging for a council I took my place. That night I did not give my vote for or against any measure, but it was decided that, as there were only eighty warriors left, and as we were without arms or supplies, and were, furthermore, surrounded by the Mexicans far inside their own territory, we could not hope to fight successfully. So our chief, Mangus Colorado, gave the order to start at once in perfect silence for our homes in Arizona, leaving the dead upon the field. I stood until all had passed, hardly knowing what I would do. I had no weapon, nor did I hardly wish to fight. Neither did I contemplate recovering the bodies of my loved ones, for that was forbidden. I did not pray, nor did I resolve to do anything in particular, for I had no purpose left. I finally followed the tribe silently, keeping just within hearing distance of the soft noise of the feet of the retreating Apaches. The next morning some of the Indians killed a small amount of game, and we halted long enough for the tribe to cook and eat when the march was resumed. I had killed no game and did not eat. During the first march, as well as while we were camped at this place, I spoke to no one, and no one spoke to me. There was nothing to say. For two days and three nights we were on forced marches, stopping only for meals. Then we made a camp near the Mexican border where we rested two days. Here I took some food and talked with the other Indians who had lost in the massacre, but none had lost as I had, for I had lost all. Within a few days we arrived at our own settlement. There were the decorations that Alope had made, and there were the playthings of our little ones. I burned them all, even our teepee. I also burned my mother's teepee and destroyed all her property. I was never again contented in our quiet home. True, I could visit my father's grave, but I had vowed vengeance upon the Mexican troopers who had wronged me, and whenever I came near his grave or saw anything to remind me of my former happy days, my heart would ache for revenge upon Mexico. As soon as we had again collected some arms and supplies, Mangus Colorado, our chief, called a council and found that all our warriors were willing to take the warpath against Mexico. I was appointed to solicit the aid of other tribes in this war. When I went to the Jaconan, Chiricahua Apaches, Cochise, their chief, called a council at early dawn. Silently the warriors assembled at an open place in a mountain dell and took their seats on the ground 
arranged in rows according to their ranks. Silently they sat smoking. At a signal from the chief, I arose and presented my cause as follows. Kinsman, you have heard what the Mexicans have recently done without cause. You are my relatives, uncles, cousins, brothers. We are men the same as the Mexicans are. We can do to them what they have done to us. Let us go forward and trail them. I will lead you to their city. We will attack them in their homes. I will fight in the front of the battle. I only ask you to follow me to avenge this wrong done by these Mexicans. Will you come? It is well. You will all come. Remember the rule in war. Men may return or they may be killed. If any of these young men are killed, I want no blame from their kinsmen, for they themselves have chosen to go. If I am killed, no one need mourn for me. My people have all been killed in that country, and I too will die if need be. I returned to my own settlement, reported this success to my chieftain, and immediately departed to the southward into the land of the Netanyi Apaches. Their chief, Ho, heard me without comment, but he immediately issued orders for a council, and, when all were ready, gave a sign that I might speak. I addressed them as I had addressed the Chaconan tribe, and they also promised to help us. It was in the summer of 1859, almost a year from the date of the massacre of Casquilla, that these three tribes were assembled on the Mexican border to go upon the warpath. Their faces were painted, the war bands fastened upon their brows, their long scalp locks ready for the hand and knife of the warrior who would overcome them. Their families had been hidden away in a mountain rendezvous near the Mexican border. With these families a guard was posted, and a number of places of rendezvous designated in case the camp should be disturbed. When all were ready, the chieftains gave command to go forward. None of us were mounted, and each warrior wore moccasins and also a cloth wrapped about his loins. This cloth could be spread over him when he slept, and when on the march would be ample protection as clothing. In battle, if the fight was hard, we did not wish much clothing. Each warrior carried three days' rations, but as we often killed game while on the march, we seldom were without food. We traveled in three divisions, the Badonkahey Apaches led by Mangus, Colorado, the Chaconan Apaches by Cochise, and the Netnai Apaches by Ho. However, there was no regular order inside the separate tribes. We usually marched about 14 hours per day, making three stops for meals, and traveling 40 to 45 miles a day. I acted as guide into Mexico, and we followed the river courses and mountain ranges because we could better thereby keep our movements concealed. We entered Sonora and went southward past Quitaco, Nacozari, and many smaller settlements. When we were almost at Arispe, we camped, and eight men rode out from the city to parley with us. These we captured, killed, and scalped. This was to draw the troops from the city, and the next day they came. 
the skirmishing lasted all day without a general engagement but just at night we captured their supply train so we had plenty of provisions and some more guns that night we posted sentinels and did not move our camp but rested quietly all night for we expected heavy work the next day early the next morning the warriors were assembled to pray not for help but that they might have health and avoid ambush or deceptions by the enemy as we had anticipated about ten o'clock in the morning the whole mexican force came out there were two companies of cavalry and two of infantry i recognized the cavalry as the soldiers who had killed my people at casquilla this i told to the chieftains and they said that i might direct the battle i was no chief and never had been but because i had been more deeply wronged than others this honor was conferred upon me and i resolved to prove worthy of the trust i arranged the indians in a hollow circle near the river and the mexicans drew their infantry up in two lines with the cavalry in reserve we were in the timber and they advanced until within about four hundred yards when they halted and opened fire soon i led a charge against them at the same time sending some braves to attack their rear in all the battle i thought of my murdered mother wife and babies of my father's grave and of my vow of vengeance and i fought with fury many fell by my hand and constantly i led the advance many braves were killed the battle lasted about two hours at the last four indians were alone in the center of the field myself and three other warriors our arrows were all gone our spears broken off in the bodies of dead enemies we had only our hands and knives with which to fight but all who had stood against us were dead then two armed soldiers came upon us from another part of the field they shot down two of our men and we the remaining two fled toward our own warriors my companion was struck down by a saber but i reached our warriors seized a spear and turned the one who pursued me missed his aim and fell by my spear with his saber i met the trooper who had killed my companion and we grappled and fell i killed him with my knife and quickly rose over his body brandishing his saber seeking for other troopers to kill there were none but the apaches had seen over the bloody field covered with the bodies of mexicans rang the fierce apache war-whoop still covered with the blood of my enemies still holding my conquering weapon still hot with the joy of battle victory and vengeance i was surrounded by the apache braves and made war-chief of all the apaches then i gave orders for scalping the slain i could not call back my loved ones i could not bring back the dead apaches but i could rejoice in this revenge the apaches had avenged the massacre of casquilla End of Part 2 of the Apaches